Great. Hey, I'm really excited to introduce our speaker today. Um, we have Phil Strout with us, who's the National Director for Vineyard USA, um, which is quite a privilege. Uh, I met Phil a couple of years ago, maybe four or five years ago, at a party in Colorado. We had a 30-minute conversation, I'm pretty sure, about landscaping. And then he walked away, and Sharon said, what do you think of Phil? And I said, Phil who? And she said, Phil Strout, he's the National Director of our churches. And I said, I just talked to him about landscaping for 30 minutes. Um, But to me, that said, what I needed to know about the man who leads the vineyard in America is that he cared to have a conversation for 30 minutes about landscaping. I've never landscaped. So um, thanks (laughs) for being here. Come on up. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. That's, I I had forgotten that, Lindsay, but that's interesting. Actually, my wife and I are the true type of homesteaders, so it's easy for us to talk about the earth and uh, landscaping and permaculture and proper land management and small carbon footprint. And, uh, so we, we have been loving our life in the woods of Maine. When I say I lit off, live like off the grid, I mean we live off the grid, and uh, every once in a while I'll pop up, up back out in humanity and do this vineyard thing, and, and uh, it's a, a joy. Hey, I just want to say, to be with you this morning is a real privilege. Uh, Aaron and Sharon are two uh, dear, dear friends. They've become very close uh, through these last several years, and I want to thank you on behalf of the vineyard movement in the United States for lending them to us so much, because they have, uh, they've made a big impact. And when I met them several years ago, I sort of, as I travel the country, I sort of keep my eye out and I'm always watching and listening to young men and women who, who uh, are passionate about Jesus, who love the movement. And, you know, you meet them and then you go, they're going to help. They're probably going to help for the next 25, 30 years. But I also realize that does mean in a church like this, they are out and about a little bit more than the normal pastors. Uh, in, in, in that sense, you, you, you may say, well, where's Aaron and Sharon this weekend? Oh, they're in San Diego meeting with Phil and the board. They're, they're now board members for this. And I realize for a church, there is a bit of sacrifice. It's a piece of the calling. It's sovereign. Not every church has that, but, but Merrillville here has that. And I've, I've been practicing saying Merrillville because <laughs> Aaron has corrected me for years on the proper way to say it. So coming over this morning, I said, Merville, Merville, Mer- not Maryville, Merville, Merville. Get it right. Get it right. Contextualize here. Let's get this right. So, uh, so thank you. Honestly, thank you. It's, it's very sacrificial. The churches that I've led through through the years have been gracious enough to lend a lot of my time to the movement. And then several years ago when I was asked to do this, um, we just got them a new pastor because it's so unfair to them. It was gone all the time. Uh, I'd like to talk to you this morning about church. Oh, imagine that. I'd like to talk to you about uh, something that's very, very real and historical, biblical, historical, biblical, but also very contemporary. And my, my I would just call this pivotal church. Uh, and, and here's my one big idea. If I do my job over the next three hours, uh, that, that's my, my one big idea right there. The pivotal church of the New Testament 
clearly had kingdom ingredients. And it's not that hard to dissect. So I was just thinking, uh, I don't know, what, what's, what's like the favorite pie in Tennessee? What would be your, what would be your favorite pie? So there is no, like, Tennessee pie. Pecan. Pecan pie? Okay. Apple pie. Berry pie. Uh, all right. There you go. All of those things have ingredients, and you've got to get them right. Because if you think you're about to bite into a nice pecan pie or a nice apple pie, and somebody forgot to put a certain ingredient in that pie. What do you do? Now, if you're at your in-law's house, you just pretend you like it. <laughs> but you're going to know rather quickly if the ingredients are all there. And it's an interesting piece of reality. In the kingdom of God, and in this thing that you and I are collectively walking out with hundreds of other uh, people around the country... Tens of thousands of other folks that go to vineyard churches, there are some ingredients that are pretty important. And, and so what I want to do this morning, I'd like you to uh, turn on your devices or open your Bibles if you're a bit Jurassic like me. Uh, I still use paper, but I realize I'm the, becoming the odd man out. Uh, but turn on your devices to Acts chapter 11, and I would like to talk about the, the church of Antioch. And I want to be able to superimpose some of those details into the reality of what you're living right here in Eastern Tennessee. And I, I believe that as, as, in my experience so far, knowing Aaron and Sharon, I know Josh, I've met Johnny, I know Lindsay, uh, I sort of know there are, these ingredients are pretty self-evident in, even in this congregation. Uh, what we have here, we're going to parachute in, all right? That's a hard thing to do. One is, I don't know where you've been studying. I don't know what series you've been in as a congregation. You've never heard me speak as, as, as someone who would uh, do a talk on Sunday morning. So we're going to have to quickly get acquainted because I don't like to waste time. Uh, and so we're going to parachute into this story, all right? Are we good with that? So in, in Acts chapter 11... Verse 19, let me give you, let me, let me lead up to it. We've had the great outpouring of Pentecost. The church in Jerusalem has been growing. They had a mandate from, in, right from the beginning in Acts 1, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll receive power, you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. The problem is, is they got a little bit stuck and because they had some really great worship going on, they had some really great preaching going on, they had signs and wonders going on, things were happening in the church of Jerusalem, and it sort of got to the place where nobody wanted to go do what all that was about out in the world. So we might say God introduced a by love or by shove paradigm to them. And we know that there was a persecution and people in Jerusalem, once people started to die for their faith, they dispersed. And that's exactly where we're going to parachute in to a couple of guys who have come to the place called Antioch. Okay, So Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and I'm just going to read and unpack. 
But what I will do is pick out five ingredients that make up a pivotal church. A church is one that makes a difference. Now, although Jerusalem was the first church, Antioch becomes the pivotal church of the New Testament. So we'll pick it up right there. Verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen, they made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Interesting statement. This is just, this is Luke's narrative of it. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, this is amazing. <coughs> Historically, we know this is when the church stepped away from a homogeneous reality. It stepped out of a singular person. It stepped out from the danger of becoming actually just another Jewish sect. Because they're about to cross into some barriers that had not been crossed until this point. Now, in history, if we, if we look at history and we put all the churches in history, not so much on a scale of importance because that's impossible to measure, but Antioch really does come at the very forefront of that because that is where intentional outreach towards the world was launched from. This is the spread of Christianity. This is a congregation, and I know it's so hard in the 21st century, but not unlike you that lived in a geographical area that happened to be Antioch. This is more uh, Merrillville and Springbrook and, and, and Knoxville. I'll get them all mixed up, but uh, I know some of those words must fit. Uh, but they're not unlike you. This is a local church. And this church becomes a trendsetter. It became, it's sort of everything pivoted here because even the church in Jerusalem that we read in the New Testament, we read in the book of Acts, the great outpouring that we know historically called Pentecost. But the problem was that remained a very Jewish, mono-ethnic very closed group. And God's saying, no, 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 you're going to get this and give it to everybody. And they got stuck. And along comes this persecution. They begin to disperse, and these guys make a difference. But here's my question. Who planted the pivotal church of the New Testament? Truth is, truth is, we have no idea. Truth is, I don't think we're supposed to. Truth is, there's one of the kingdom ingredients hidden in these very few words. In verse 20, there were some of them. In our vernacular, it would just say, some guys. And that's not gender sensitive. They're just some guys. It might have said some gals, but it says some guys. Well, who? We don't know. So let me put up the number, the first ingredient in a church that becomes pivotal, and that is, I just say, I just use the word no credit. You don't care who gets the credit. 
and God didn't want anybody to get the credit. Even though we know Paul and some of his associates planted a lot of churches in the New Testament, there's something about the pivotal church that God said, that's got my thumbprint and mine alone. And here's, here's what I would say about this. There's, there, <laughs> through the years, I've tried to trace this saying back. And I, 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 I use Harry Truman, but if somebody can give me original, original uh, writing on this and somebody earlier, then that's fine. But it's, it's Truman who said, it's amazing what can be accomplished when you don't care who gets the credit. Let me just say it again. It is amazing what can be accomplished when you don't care who gets the credit. So you take a church like this, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. You take a worship, we just worship, we just did celestial worship. Well, it doesn't matter. Put some other musicians up here. It doesn't matter who's speaking today. Put somebody else up here. It doesn't matter who's the, the, you know, working with the children or, or giving the most time in the end. It doesn't matter. Why? We don't care who gets the credit. If God is exalted and the love and the power of God is dispersed towards the hurting heart of humanity, aren't we good with that? Here's, here's one of the ingredients of a pivotal church. You just don't care who gets the credit. Now, we all know in churches, man, people get their feelings hurt quickly. I mean, I'm, I came to faith in 1974 as just a hippie, a little hippie kid up in New England. And never, wasn't a church kid. I didn't grow up in the Catholic church, Protestant church. I wasn't a Muslim or a Jew or a, I was just a, a kid that like normal American in the 60s and 70s lived for the weekend. Study hard, party hard. And when we, when we, when, when I came to the church, it had the little country church, nicest people, but somebody had put a painting up in the front of the church that might have been the worst painting I've ever seen in my life. And so after going there for a couple of months, I remember saying in sort of like a meeting, why do we leave that picture up in the front? And it sucked the air out of the room. Everyone went, Ugh, because somebody's aunt, 45 years earlier, had painted this picture and gave it to the church with some money. They felt obligated to put it up. And honestly, it is the worst piece of art ever created on the earth. <laughs> and those people threw the Decades have had to stare at that picture because nobody dared to speak up because somebody would have got their feelings hurt. I've watched that over these last 45 years. Literally, literally just destroy congregations. And, and this, this, this is a part of this. I, I just like this. All right, I got I to gotta keep going. But, 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 you know, the next time you sort of don't get credit for something in the kingdom... You don't get credit for something, even like family, or you don't get credit for something, especially in the church. You just got to say, oh, well, at least it got done. There's something of anonymity that's very powerful. The fact of the matter, if I was really going to unpack this, I don't have time to unpack it this morning. But if I was going to unpack it, this is what I'd say. <laughs> Some of you caught that. Anonymity actually is an incredible liberating reality. Because you really, what it does, it just checks all the motivations. 
So for a church like Merrillville Vineyard to, like, to become a real footprint in the community, this ingredient is one of them, just somebody. Now, I'm all for giving attaboy and attagirl, and this is good, and credit, and celebrating, and recognizing. I'm all in on that. We, we celebrate all the time. But there's something, when, when my heart demands to be celebrated, something went with just one tick off. So anyways, first ingredient in the pie, no credit. And, and the good thing about that is no blame, right? I mean, you know, if you go to, you pray for somebody, they don't, they don't get healed, you don't get blamed for that. You know, the, the thing we're in, we're into no credit, no blame. We do what we see the Father doing, to him be the glory, right? So in the kingdom, whether you take a nap or raise the dead, the pay's the same. Because if something great happens, you don't get any credit, but if nothing happens, you don't get the blame. See, this is why these ingredients are very real, and they're very tangible, and if you've been around the church for a while, you know that. It's very interesting. So let me, let me go to the next part. And then it says, uh, they, they came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, in the 21st century, with an enlightened people and everything, that doesn't seem like a big thing. Let me just tell you that something, though. That is a, that is a, a gigantic cultural and ethnic and religious step forward. They are breaking, they are smashing through barriers. And Luke picked up on it. He said, because up until that time, they were only speaking to Jewish people. Now, that doesn't, it's a bit sterile now in the 21st century, but put in the, put the context. There was no mixing whatsoever to, for, the, for, for Jewish people to reach out and begin speaking Jesus to the Greeks. They were crossing, they were breaking taboos. Pivotal churches are not afraid of breaking through barriers. They're not afraid to break through barriers. Pivotal churches that I've watched through these decades, they just, they're willing to tackle things. And, well, we don't do that. Well, we used to not do it, but now we do it. You know, and I, I you know, through the years, you know, even the sanctity of a, a place like this where you can gather and, 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 in one sense, I'm sort of glad I didn't grow up in a religious setting. And, you know, a lady came to me. I remember I was a young pastor. And I don't know where I picked this up, but she came in and she said, do you, know, do you realize that the teenagers are chewing gum in the sanctuary? <laughs> and out of my mouth came, no, ma'am, the sanctuary is chewing gum. I am so thrilled. Now, because they said, well, welcome to the house of the Lord. No, do you guys have a mortgage on this place? If it was, you know, this is the house of the Lord, I guess, but you're paying for it. <laughs> we, got, we, we got all these religious barriers. We used to call them stained glass barriers. Now, I, I, now I love stained glass. I, one of my hobbies is restoration of antique windows. Uh, I do it pretty regularly as, as a hobby, um, I'm just getting into restoration of stained glass windows. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. But churches across America, when people look at buildings and they see that stained glass, they know we don't, we don't belong on the inside of that. So there's all sorts of barriers. They can be, that we, and, and we have to be, 
you know, it, it, think of it in today, the complexity of being a church, being a follower of Jesus in the complexity of today's culture. I guarantee churches come up to certain barriers, and I don't define them. I don't know, I don't know what particular ones are, but, but just eth ethnic barriers. Gender, age, cultural, educational, urban, suburban, rural. All of, all of these are barriers sometimes. You go, you know, sometimes into the snobbery of the Northeast and uh, higher education and, and, you know, they start name dropping the university they've gone to. You come to that and that can be actually a barrier in a church. Urbanites who, who, who look down their nose a bit at more rural liver, li, people and, and rural people are doing urbanites uh, flaky, if I can use that word. Differences. Differences have to be overcome. This is why, this is one of the, uh, I, I, again, I don't have time to go too far into this, but this is worth taking a look historically of what did it mean for the Church of Antioch to include Greeks. And this became truly the, the launching pad of a true expression of the kingdom of God. Multi-ethnic, differences, but you're willing to explore, you're willing to discover, you're willing to risk. Most of the guys and gals that I've worked with through the years have just pushed up to the edge of the box, looked around and see if it was okay, and then just sort of blew the box open. Uh, that's, that's important. What, 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 what would be a barrier that if the Maryville Vineyard walked through a barrier, what would that be? Now, notice, I'm not telling you what it is because actually that's something that's so contextual. It's so real to the people that live here, right here. What would it be? Because how many of you would love it if thousands of more people gathered on a Sunday morning in the different churches. How many of you want to see thousands of more people? Okay, and the rest of you are like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> you, you, I, I get it. But, but what are the reasons why that doesn't happen? Sometimes churches have to look at themselves and simply say, have we got barriers that we're not even aware of? Are there barriers that we'd, we're just going to have to push through? And, 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 and in, in history, I mean, I've got a whole list. It's just not my point this morning is not to unpack that whole thing. But it's very, very uh, important. Okay? Number one, no credit. Number two, you've got to break through barriers. How many of you know in your marriage, you came up to a place in your marriage, and you just, if, if you didn't break through, this is going to be, well, till death do us part. Are you kidding with this dynamic? Now, if you haven't been married very long, check out for a minute right now. But if you've been married for a while, you know what I'm talking about. You've had to press through. You had to stay the course. You know, where, where it was intense romance and love and, and everything. And then along came child number one. Okay, that's good. And then along came child number two. Nah, that's good. <laughs> along comes child number three. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and there's all sorts of... Things that happen. But how do, you, how do you do that? How do you do that 10-year, 20-year, 30-year, 40-year, 50? What do you do? You press through barriers. You press through things that, are, that have hindered you, and, 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 and God just keeps inviting you into fur, in, further. One of the ingredients 
in walking this thing out with the kingdom of God that it's just, it, it, that I just don't know any way around it. It's be ready to break through barriers, your own and then yours collectively. Are we good with that? Well, there's a, th- there's a third ingredient I just want to introduce. Verse 21, if you want to go back to your device. And it says this. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So this is a happening church. And the news about them reached the ears of Jerusalem, the, uh, of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had come and he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to, inc- this, this, this line is a powerhouse. He encouraged them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Here's a third ingredient of a pivotal church is, is somehow they maintain a resolute heart. What, what does that mean? What's, what, what's that resolute heart? They set a course and they stay a course because it's not abracadabra. You set a course. Now, let's, let's unpack the context. In Antioch, it's what you and I have come accustomed to calling a revival, a renewal. There's this, this, this thousands of people coming to Christ. The church in Jerusalem might have grown to 45,000 people. Now this is just dispersing. It comes to this place at Antioch. Some guys, we don't know, don't know who, started including the Greeks. Never happened before. So now they're pouring in. Barnabas is sent as a, as a pastor, and he basically looks, and he begins by saying, let's stay the course. Now usually you think, no, when, when things are really buzzing, it's just gonna, they're going to buzz forever. No. <laughs> Ebbs and flows happen. Things don't buzz forever. What, we, what do we do? We set a course for our life. We say, this is what we're about. We define our mission. We define who we are. We define our values and, 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 and where the guardrails are, where the banks of the river are. We're going to run in this river, and we're going to stay the course. Pivotal churches don't get cosmically bored. One of the things that I've watched, I just say this in all due respect, one of the things I've watched churches do through the last four decades is they, they, they sort of like need a, a new dog and pony show every three years to just sort of change it up, get it more exciting and get the latest and the greatest and Vogue. And, you know, now we got smoke and, and all the big stuff. I'm, I'm so glad you didn't have smoke this morning because <laughs> I can't breathe. I, you know, so often, you know, Mike, he blows the stage up with smoke, and now he's my dear friend, Mike. He and I pop into each other all over this country, and he's here doing a worship uh, uh, thing this weekend. But it's, it's, it's just amazing how, and this is what I've learned, this, 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 and, I, and I, I, I do say this, is we're just easily bored. So we, we think we, we need new gimmicks. And the Lord says, no, set the course, resolute heart, stay focused, do it, do the right thing, then do it again, then do it again. For years, I've talked with pastors about EDLD, evangelism, discipleship, leadership, multiplication, and diversity. Do it again. Just do it again. Do it again. Do the right thing. Lead people to Jesus. I get calls all the time, and this is true, and I love these guys dearly. They're guys that I've worked with, sons in, in, in the faith, and who are now leaders, uh, and they'll call me and just, hey, Phil, what, what and, and, and literally say, what's the latest and the greatest? What are you doing? What are you into? Who are you reading now? It's like, 
It's like, well, I don't know. God's quite fickle, so we're going to see what the, uh, the emphasis du jour is. What's new? What's the, what's the vogue? What's the latest? And, and you, Pastors, we get inundated with that because we're supposed to sort of keep things edgy, buzzy. These guys just came along and said, Barnabas said, you want the buzz to last? Stay the course. Put your eyes on that prize and walk towards it. I have one, one, uh, uh, one shelf in my library where to make that shelf, for a book to get on that shelf, it, the author had to have walked it out for 50 years. If they, if they, now, it, it may be something they wrote earlier, but they did stay in this battle for 50 years. And I've got some amazing men and women, they're all, they're, they're, they're life's work on that shelf. And every once in a while, I keep it about eye level for where I sit at my desk. Because every once in a while, I'll look over there and I'll remember those guys did this for 50 years. What did they do? A resolute heart. They, they pointed in a direction. And they stayed that course. So Barnabas comes along. And I, who planted the church? We don't know. But they included Greeks. And then he said, stay the course. It's an amazing thing. Now look at verse 24. How are we doing? Is there a clock here somewhere? No clock? Marvelous. Oh, I don't see it. Is it there? Oh, it broke. Yes! Freedom! That was a William Wallace moment. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It says, verse 24, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. So Barnabas actually was a guy that had been started hanging out with the apostles in Jerusalem. A very humble man. When they heard that this revival was going on in Antioch, the apostles in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas is the one that looked at the, what was going on and said, stay the course. And then his next thing that he did, he knew about Saul, so he leaves Tarsus, he leaves for Tarsus, and he's looking for Saul, verse 25. Verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. He said, Saul, I am so far in over my head. That's what he was saying. He brought him to Antioch, and it came about for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch. Now, these next two ingredients are very, very similar. Next two ingredients. Barnabas had the opportunity to be very famous. And he passed. Let me say it again. Barnabas had the opportunity to be very, very famous. And he passed. What was the ingredient? Humility. Humility is the fourth ingredient here. Humility, when you see it in the church globally, when you see humility exercised in the church locally, it is astounding, the aroma of humility. It, it, it is an aroma. Humility is an aroma. It has a, it has a, it has a smell. There's, a, there's an optic in it. Humility could... Barnabas could have been the guy. And he goes, no way. 
He goes and gets, he, so Barnabas proves to be a smart guy, a humble guy. And he introduced something. And this, the, the, the fifth ingredient is what I call shared ministry. Shared ministry. Now, I know, I mean, I've, I've watched it. I mean, the way this church operates with Aaron and Sharon and Lindsay and Josh and, and, and John and then all of you that do you, do, you all do what you do. This is, this, but it's an ingredient. This is why, no, can I, let me just say this. I've been, you know, I've been to enough of our churches around this country. There's some, if I moved to that town, I don't know if I'd go there. But Phil, it says vineyard. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> been to some churches. Don't know that I'd go there if I moved into that town. Why? I don't always find the kingdom ingredients. We don't even know who planted this church, and it becomes the pivotal church of the New Testament, one of the most important churches of history. We have no idea who to give the credit to. Spot on. They broke through barriers because it started to include everybody. That's amazing. They set a course, and they stayed that course for decades and decades. And the first man given responsibility to actually lead it was a humble man and he went and found as many team members as he could. And he said, whoa, I'm over my head. Because this is, this is the principle. And, and, I, and I, I believe this in my whole heart. God will never give anybody everything. Now, that is worth putting on a little note. And you can either put it on your mirror or your refrigerator door. Whichever one you use the most. Stick that on there. And when you're feeling inadequate, say, Jesus, thank you for my inadequacy because that means I need other people. God will never give anybody everything. God doesn't take a leader and makes that super leader. One, you know, just the, the, the man, the woman, the, no, why? What, what, what do they do? What do they do? What, what does God do? He gives you some, then he gives you some, and he gives you some. And he gives you something. Then he gives you something. He gives you something. He gives you. And if you want to have a full, complete picture of it, you need all those other 13 people. What's one of the kingdom ingredients? We don't know who to give the credit to. The second piece of this is they broke through barriers. They set a course. They ate humble pie. And they included everybody because they realized nobody's going to have everything. To me, folks, this is why, and I know it sounds, it'll sound funny, but this is why I'm so proud of Aaron and Sharon McCarter. Because uh, I, early on when I met them, I knew, no, this is, this, this is the type of couple that they so inculcate, they, they so own these things. So although I've never been here before, I sort of knew how this church was going to be. I sort of knew the atmosphere in the, in the foyer. Why? I think you're a kingdom church. And, and you've, got, you've got a call. You've been placed in a geographical area, given an ethos. You have the opportunity to become a very big footprint because you have these ingredients. And where you don't, well, good. Let's, let's whale away at it. Go for it. 
when you see it in, you know, in, in your personal life, just in your personal life. If in your personal life you know that you, you get offended if you're not given the credit for everything you do, then the Lord's just saying, oh, let's work right there, right there. Don't you just hate it when God does that? You know, like, pick on somebody else. And God says, oh, no, I love you. Need that token right, right in that one. I don't know what that is in your life because I, I, I don't know you. But God does. He only does it because he's, just, he's, he's growing us up in Christ. Amen? So what do you think? Pivotal Church? Maryville Vineyard? Springbrook? Pivotal Church? Let's do that. Other than that, we're just going to go through the motions and then get old and die. Not me, man. I'm not going to get cheated. I'm living it. Once I, once I, I mean, nobody ever told me about Jesus. Once somebody did, I, I looked at a bunch of Christians in my high school and I said, what have you, you guys haven't been doing your job. <laughs> nobody shared Christ with me. Because I was one of those guys, oh, he'll, he'll just mock us, he'll ridicule us, he won't listen, you know. Even, even the, the, the I, I mean, I married a wonderful woman. And, and, I mean, she's been a, she's, she was a leader. I mean, she, she was an amazing woman even in high school. But I was dating a girl, and my wife led that girl to the Lord and started discipling her. And one of her first instructions was, if you really want to get serious with Jesus, you're going to have to dump Phil Strout. <laughs> and she did. The girl dumped me. She didn't give me any explanation. She just said, well... She, she, one night, I think we're sophomores in high school. She goes, uh, Phil, we're going to have to end this. We're going to have to break this off. And I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, why? She goes, well, we're just going in different directions. And I thought, where are you going? I didn't, thought, I didn't know she was talking about. But she didn't share Jesus. And the, the girl that led her to the Christ in Virginia, and then a year later, that girl won me to Christ. So then I said, aha. She wanted to marry me, but knew she couldn't date a non-Christian, so she, she arranged this whole thing. She says, that's my warped uh, uh, understanding of it. But when I got saved, here's what became my phrase. If this is worth anything, it's worth everything. And it created this all-in obsession. This is why I look at a congregation and I say, Do the, go, go all in, because none of this is worth it without being all in. Amen? Let's sit with this for a few minutes.